Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of the Night Report podcast. Somehow we're already on episode 40 of this podcast. Uh, it's been a wild ride. But today we're going to discuss a little bit of a, a spring practice preview. Uh, Richie Schneiderite is joining me as, as usual. Uh, first, we're going to talk a little bit about the assistant coaching situation. Richie, what are you hearing with those open roles right now? And when can we expect them to maybe be filled? Or is it a total who knows? It's uh, honestly, it's like a total who knows at the moment. I know um, the last update I posted, there is a list of like 12 to 15 names that they had. They met with us. The whole staff met together. There was like 15 people. It ranged from FCS coordinators who we recently just saw Corey Heatherman get hired by Rutgers as a linebackers coach um, to power five level assistants to GAs to all the way up to the NFL ranks. Um, There's just so many names out there. I know we've mentioned Ola Adams, who's a former Villanova D.C., former Temple DBs coach for a month and now Denver Broncos uh, assistant DBs assistant coach. DB. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He's a name. Um, just going off to the list that we had, um, Ty Greenwood, New Jersey guy. Uh, I know he's very intrigued with the job. He's down at North Carolina Central um, cornerbacks coach right now, I think it is. Yep. We've heard Trey Bell been mentioned. Um, New Jersey guy uh, just got the cornerbacks job at uh, Akron with Joe Moorhead. Uh, Marvin Questador, Temple Safety's coach. These are just a few names that we've been hearing uh, left and right. Obviously, there's that's only four or five, so there's at least ten missing candidates that we have no idea who they are. Um, Shiano's very tight-lipped with this stuff, and he doesn't want stuff like this leaking, so I, I kind of understand that. I don't think we're going to hear much more until spring ball. I know um, Damaso Munoz has been stepping up as a recruiter lately. I know he kind of hmm. filled in when they lost uh, – who did they lose in the first place? I don't even remember. Panagos? There's a 10th assistant um, Smith, I guess. Whenever they had yeah. that 10th assistant role open recently, before the, the ninth assistant role opened, I guess you want to call it, Munoz and Brandon uh, Fuhrer and a bunch of other guys were always filling the roles. Dem- Demir Shaw was one of those guys filling the roles too. Um, so it could be a temporary thing. It could be a permanent thing. Maybe they give the promotion to Munoz and he gets like, a, I don't know, like some kind of outside linebacker's job or safeties or something. They might just give him something, but – I know he's filling the role temporarily. How long that's going to be, I don't know. Um, I do think ideally you want someone in there this weekend because this weekend oh, yeah. you're hosting a bunch of prospects starting on Saturday. And then Sunday you're going to bring them all to the basketball game too. So recruiting-wise, you want someone in there ASAP. Spring ball, I think you can kind of work a little bit and see what's available still. I know it's tough because, like, you don't have two – you're missing two assistant coaches. This is huge. But you have guys like Joe Harris, Simiak, who's coached safeties before, so he could fill in for the secondary temporarily. Um, technically, the other open spot could go anywhere. We really don't know. Um, I think at this point, they're just going to wait till Tuesday to announce everything. Uh, we do know there's some shuffling going on. Augie Hoffman's going to O-line. It sounds like Aldrich is going to running backs. Uh, Nunn's is staying at tight ends. I think that's all pretty clear. And then uh, Watson's new guy at D-line, Heatherman, linebackers. And then it's just kind of just wait and see at this point. 
So I want to take us back. You said that they had a meeting with like 12 to 15 people. Is that just kind of like a spitballing session where you bring a list of guys you think would be a good fit and then you kind of talk about them? You you kind of make your case as to why you think your guy or a guy you worked with previously would be a good fit? I think it was more of like they've had a meeting before that, and it's more like we have like everyone throw a name out. Let's see what we got. Let's see who's interested. Do you know someone that's interested? Let's throw them on the board. And then I think from then on out, from there on out, it's more like Shiano and maybe probably his right hand man, like Joe Susan and someone, someone else, like someone that he really trusts. And it's kind of like, all right, this guy, like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That guy, I know him. He's <laughs> a hard ass. Fuck him. Like, we're done. Uh, him, maybe. Let's keep him on the side right here. And then, and it's like, oh, this guy, this guy, if he's interested, put him on the list, put him at the very top right now. Yeah. 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 And then it's just kind of mix and match and then meet again. And it's like, all right, we're down to these 15. Who knows them? Who has connections to them? What do you know about them? What can you tell me about them? And then kind of go from there just to learn more about your, your final, not final, but semi-finalists, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Cause I think the process itself sounds pretty interesting. Cause I imagine that's how Heatherman's name got brought up because Harris Simiak's the only person on staff who had any connection to him at all. So I imagine Harris Simiak was the one who had to bring him to Greg. Yeah. And it's just more of like, um, you, you go down the list again and it's like, Oh, this guy's an FCSD coordinator and he's, putting up those numbers yeah get them over here but uh, and i think that's that's kind of where like the guy ola adams is at like hopefully you can convince him being a you know assistant at you know Rutgers is better than being a, an assistant db's coach at denver but who knows if that's going to happen i saw yeah, that, an interview with him and he said his his goal was to be an nfl coach so he's kind of more towards the goal yeah. playing or coaching for an nfl team than it is tough team. for situations like that the similar situation would be like a phil galina got Galliano, Galliano, I don't even remember how to say it. Um, he's another one. He's like an assistant special teams coach right now, but he's like this close to getting that coordinator role of special mm-hmm. teams in the NFL. So it's like, I don't think he'll ever come back. It's another guy that I thought about like putting on the list as a 10th potential 10th assistant. But every time I talk to someone that knows him, it's like, no, he loves the NFL. And it seems like also, a lot of guys do. This is would have been what his like fourth trip to Rutgers. Like I remember everybody hated him the last time he was around. It seems like everywhere he goes, I think he was at Penn State at one point too. They everybody hated him at Penn him State. Surprisingly. Did they? Yeah. They, I, they liked I, him as a recruiter. So uh-huh. it's like, yeah, it's interesting. And then um another guy like Ross Douglas, NFL right now, sounds like he might be getting a promotion in the near future. So it sound it's just like that one's kind of mute point. Like that's done. He's probably staying there. Um, we've heard David wow. Rowe been mentioned. Yeah, that's the name I wanted to bring up. Yeah, that's a tough one. It sounded like he was near the top of the list, and, and no coincidence, he gets a promotion, and he's, now he's making more money. Um, him and da- him and Dana Holgerson, the head coach down at Houston, are like this. Plus, he's very big on the program winning down there. I was told mm-hmm. he wants to stay with the winning program. I think they finished like top fifteen this year or something. I know it's the AAC yeah. at the end of the day, but it's still Texas, and Texas is going to invest. They're in the Big Twelve in what? two years, three years, something like that. Yep. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not the same big 12, but it's still power five football um, yep. and they're winning. So at the end of the day, it's hard. It's hard to just say, all right, see you later. So that's about where we're at right now. We have no names. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to bring one more thing up because I've, I've noticed a lot of people talk about this on the boards, complaining when guys leave, especially it's like, well, why didn't we consider him for the coordinator role? Like we'll bring up Fran Brown, for example, Fran, is a great recruiter yeah. he's, from what I've heard all the guys love him but just because you're a great recruiter and a position coach does not mean that you have the ability to be a good coordinator too because a coordinator and a recruiter are like two totally different mindsets and two totally different skill sets like one is like a tactician the other is more like people skills 
So can you just like put to bed the notion that like we could have one kept Fran if we had him as the DC or two, why that's just a terrible idea. I don't even know where to start with this one, just because there's so much to unpack here. And it's just, it, it drives me nuts seeing the boards post about it all the time, because obviously Fran, Fran is a decent coach. I'm not going to say he's a great coach. He's a decent coach. Now in terms of recruiting, he's Jeff Halfley. And it's like this and this, they are the two of the best recruiters I've ever met. Um, they could sell you the, the bridge over in uh, what do you call it? The Verrazano if they wanted to, but uh it's just, it's a stupid analogy, I guess, the more I think about it, but um, yeah, no, it's just, he doesn't have the coaching skills to be a defensive coordinator. Obviously Shiano looked into it and hired a guy five years younger than him. That tells you all you need to know right then and there. Now, if they promoted him to DC, would he stay? Probably. But at the same time, is it worth it to sacrifice your defense just to hire Fran or promote Fran a little bit? No, absolutely not. Whereas like a guy like Harris Simiak is going to come in. He's the tactician that you were just talking about. He's the X's and O's guy. He's the guy that's going to change up the schemes at halftime as much as possible. Um, it's And on top of it all, coordinators don't recruit as much as you think. Yes, Gleason recruits quarterbacks, but he also coaches quarterbacks. It's a little different. Yep. That one's a little different just because all OCs are always probably the quarterback's coach for the most part, and they're always going to recruit their specific quarterback for their offense. That's That one's a little different, but DCs are rarely going to recruit. How many times have you seen Rob Smith on the road? I was just about to say that. I doubt he was on the road more than a dozen times. Yeah. Time at and, it, and it's crazy that he had a job in the first place, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> that he still has a job. How? I don't get it. No. But Mike Elko. Well, I mean, Duke just stole them from us from what I hear. Uh... <laughs> I can't believe reading the boards on Duke. It's just like, first off, there's Duke football fans. Holy shit. I know. Um, second, second off, it's just like, how the hell do you hire him? But it'd be different. Like that's a situation where you hire a guy like Fran Brown, because you're like, you're Mike Elko. You're pretty good at defense already. I can handle yep. the defense as the head coach, Rob, or well, not Rob, you put Fran at DC there. And it's like, Fran, just go out and recruit. I'm like, just, here's the title. Here's the money. Go out and recruit. Rutgers can't afford to do that. They need their defense. Yes. Graciano's a good defensive coordinator, but he's very hands-off now. He wants his court coaches to coach. Yep. That's why as weird as it sounds, Fran, great position coach because his recruiting abilities. I don't think he would be a good DC. Now, him as a head coach, I think he'd be great. Like yeah, because coach. head coach is more, you know, more CEO and more selling than than a coordinator. Coordinators yeah. are PRXs and O's, whereas a coach kind of has to oversee everything and the lifeblood of any program is recruiting. Exactly. And he wants to be a head coach at the end of the day, and I don't blame him. And this is a huge boost to your resume. I don't care what people are saying, lateral job this and all that nonsense. It's not. It's Georgia. It's your facilities are 10 times nicer than Rutgers. I'm going to hate to say it at the end of the day. It's yep. SEC football. It's different down there. And you just won the national fucking title. Yeah. Like, there's no question that this is just a better – it's a better program. I hate to say it. Rutgers isn't a rebuild. Georgia is reloading. Yep. That's the best way to put it. And it's just um, – it is – it's different. And I think Fran will be a very good head coach one day, whether that be Temple in two years when if Stan Drayton makes it or not. <laughs> uh, I think he should have got the temple job to be honest. And I think he would have, he would have succeeded so well at that temple job too. That's I'm like surprised he got, he didn't to be honest, man. <clears throat> the AD has connections to Texas and Texas Stan Drayton, Texas. And there you go. It makes, they did build a nice little staff down there. I will give them that, but it's just, yep. I think Fran's staff would have been just 10 times better. And the recruiting down there for temple for D five, I feel like all you have to do is recruit mid-level like three stars and like occasional high level maybe land a four star every once in a while like a kareem elite 
And yep. you're sitting pretty. You're looking like Matt Rule in the NFL right now. You're making money to suck. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the transfer portal, like that's just another, that's if you can recruit, then you're going to do even better than previously too. So I would have liked to see him. I, I kind of wish he went to Temple because the transfer portal for Temple would have been wild. I know. But oh well. But we might have ended up losing guys to Temple that's, in that situation. Yeah. So that's maybe it's for the best. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk spring practice preview stuff. Um, I'd like to play a little bit of a game, a little bit of a, a word association here. I'm going to run through the position groups and just give me your thoughts, what you're excited to see, just what comes to mind when I mention these groups for the spring. Okay. First off, we got to start at the top, start with quarterback. What are you excited about? What are you expecting to see? What do you um, think? Gavin Wimsack, QB1, no question about it, in my opinion. Um, QB2 is an intriguing one because Vedral wants to step into coaching, and I think this is his opportunity to step up. Now, people are always like, what if Wimsack gets hurt, blah, 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 our QB room's depleted. Every QB room in the country is depleted at this point just because the portal, if you're not good enough to start at, like, a Georgia, you're transferring. If you're not good enough to start Ohio State, you're transferring to LSU and winning the title. Um, <laughs> or Texas. Or Texas. Like, look at Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers, top yep. five, not even, no, number one kid, five-star kid, transferred out of Ohio State after not winning a job within – so he got that bag. Yeah, he got a million dollars, so he don't give a shit. No. <laughs> um, now, Wimstead does have a bag. He could just up, not, up and leave, but I doubt it. But um, <laughs> not giving an idea. He doesn't seem like that kind of kid. He seems like he loves it at Rutgers. He's no, like in he the front row, the, the student section for basketball yeah. games all the time. If you follow them on Instagram, like any of those guys, they're nuts in the locker room, too. All the jersey. Oh, yeah. He's he's right in the middle, too. And I'm like, holy shit. Yep. Nah, he loves it uh, at Rutgers. He's QB1, in my opinion. QB2 is the battle I'm really intrigued about and I want to learn more about because I think Evan Simon has more potential than Vedral, but Vedral mm -hmm. might be the better quarterback right now. And if he really wants to get into coaching, he, I think he, Vedral's kind of starting to understand his role. It's more of like, I'm going to be a coach one day. I don't really have a future as a quarterback in the professional leagues. So let me just kind of get into coaching now. But in the meantime, I'm going to make sure that they have depth just in case. Yep. So I wouldn't sense. be shocked if QB2 was Evan Simon to start the season or even throughout the whole year. I think it's more of uh, they're probably going to put the ORD sign there just because because <clears throat> there's there's so many options you can do. But I think you give Simon that number two spot, keep him happy, keep him on the roster for at least another year or two while you can still rebuild this QB depth. And then after those two, it's it's a guessing game. You have Austin Alberici, who I actually – who throws a beautiful ball in practice. He's just five foot seven. <laughs> oh, is he really? <laughs> no, he's maybe not five seven. He's like five nine, five ten. It's like my height, but – he is really small, but uh, he throws a, he throws a really nice ball. And uh, ironically, me and Cratch talk about it all the time. I'm like, dude, I can't wait till he gets playing time because <laughs> he, he looks in good. The spring game, maybe. He's like even his like highlight tapes in high school look good, and it's just like it's funny. But I think Gavin Rupp steps up and is probably QB three, quote unquote. If you want to do that, okay. I don't think they go to the the length of naming a QB three. I think it's just going to be QB one, QB two A, and two B. Um, but that position group is going to be fun to watch. Um, Gavin still has some work to do in terms of accuracy. Uh, there's no question about that one. There, there's some ugly throws we've seen even this year during the season. Um, he needs to work on some of that, but he has a good feel for the pass rush. He's mobile, and he's, he's going to create so many plays with his legs. I think even if the offensive line falters as it did last year a little bit, he's going to be able to extend these plays just an extra couple seconds, and it's going to make such a difference. Yep. Plus, he's still learning to be a quarterback like – a lot of guys come into their college program being a starting quarterback for Pee Wee, middle school, high school, yeah. and that's their main sport. That wasn't the case with Gavin. So 
I think we're going to see a lot of growth from him from year one to year two. Yeah. Let's do the uh, the running back room next. That's a, that's a tough one. I think it's just a giant or. I think it's an RBBC. For you fantasy guys, you know that's running back by committee. <laughs> yep. um, it, it's full on. Like, it's interesting because, like, Kyle Manongai probably would have got a ton of snaps in the Gator Bowl should he have been healthy. Wasn't healthy. Um, he also, I think, the second leading rusher on the team last season. But most right. consistent, yeah. I guess, in, in terms of yards per carry. But they all kind of average similar yards per carry between Pacheco, Manongai, Aaron Young. And then uh, I think it's just an Aaron Young or Manongai. I think that's going to be like 1A, 1B. And I think you could even argue that 1C would be Jameer Wright Collins because he was so, like, hyped up all offseason long. They were telling us about how this guy's going to be great. He's going to be our best power back. He's going to be phenomenal. And I know a lot of people kind of shut it down after that because he got injured and didn't play much. But now that he's healthy, I think he's going to be a lead power back this year at, at, in terms of goal line stuff and little, maybe third down, short, short, yard, short yardage third down. I can't talk today. And then add in like an Al Shadi Salam who can kind of mix and match. And he's so versatile and he's another potential third down guy. And more, but he's a little bit different. He's not a power back. He's more of like a, I, I don't want to compare him to Darren Sproles, but it's very similar in terms of build. He's like a yep. short, stocky, fast guy that can catch the ball to the backfield. Um, I think it's those four, definitely. I know a lot of people want to hype up Sam Brown. I wouldn't be shocked if you redshirted it, to be honest. Yep. Um, he's not arriving till summer, and that hurts him so much developmental-wise. Sure. Um, but I, I do think the main backs are going to be Manangai and Young, and that's where it's going to be interesting because these two haven't looked phenomenal. They've shown glimpses at times. I think Jameer Wright Collins is going to surprise some people though. I think he's going to get more carries than you think. And that's why it might, it's going to be a running back by committee. It might just be like, who's the hot hand today. This guy just ran for 20 yards to keep him in there. This guy ran for two yards, get him out. Like it's going to be a lot of shifting. I think. Yeah. Jameer Wright Collins seems to be the, the guy we've heard has the most potential for a couple of years now. So hopefully he stays healthy and can really show out in spring. What are you most excited about from the wide receiver room? Taj Harris. Taj Harris. No, no question about it. Like this one is, going to be nuts and i can't wait to see this uh he's he might be better than Bo when all is said and done he's going to put up crazy yardage um it's hard to say i know a lot of people look at his numbers and they're like no what he didn't do much last year he also kind of quit the team four games right? last year yeah yeah we pulled the raheem black year which is is fine sort of yeah it's funny how our fans don't give a shit when we benefit from those situations versus when we don't yeah it's it's interesting he's he reminds me uh he's actually kind of similar to bow with his like yards after the catch he once he gets a bonus mm-hmm. he's really dangerous and that's where i think he might be more dangerous than bow uh he's he's gonna be really good um as long as they get protection and he's he's got a i hate to say it, he might have a better quarterback than bow ever did during his four or five oh yeah four or five years five years four years i forget what it was i don't think that's very controversial at no, all I, think I, just, yeah, I hate to say it though but after that um spring's gonna be interesting because you're gonna see some young guys because i don't think group shank's gonna participate although he does look okay. healthy and he's he doing again he's another one doing these jersey club moves in the instagram videos and it, the knees are bending and it looks pretty well so <laughs> what, he looks pretty good but uh the other battle i'm intrigued about is going to be sean ryan or shameen jones as wide receiver mm. too and I think yep. you might even be able to argue an order there for Isaiah Washington as well. I think that's going to be a really intriguing one. I don't know who's going to win out there. Um, she means they are all, all like very similar archetypes, though. Those big body, like not super fast, but yeah, that's, types. that's where I think Washington and Ryan are kind of like that, that build. But Shameen Jones also offers a little bit different. I think he's a little sh- on the shorter side. I think he's less than yeah. six one, but I think he's more like five eleven, six foot. 
Um, oh, wow. He's the veteran. They're, just, they're all veterans, kind of. I think Isaiah Washington's been here three, four years. He hasn't done a whole lot, but he's looked good when Noah Vedrill hasn't been the quarterback, ironically. Um, Sean Ryan put up almost 400 yards last year. Um, so, And that's in the West Virginia offense that struggles as well. So now give him Gavin Wimsat, and maybe he looks a little better. And then Shameen Jones has – he's been up and down. He has a 100-yard game. He has a 10-yard game. He has a 100-yard game. He's got – 20 yard game and it's like he's so close to getting all that potential and then um after that i think the slot position is going to be either brandon sanders or joshua youngblood i don't think it's a lock that youngblood gets it because uh i do think sanders is going to fight for that one he did fight for he actually i guess held off youngblood early on in the 2021 season and kind of uh assumed that role when krukshank was out so it's going to be interesting to see uh See these position battles. I know nothing's kind of set in stone, but I think the only thing that would be set here is Harris and Krukshank, and then it's a guessing game for the backups and the wide receiver too. A tight end room. What are you excited to see there? Johnny Langan. I don't know if yep. I don't know if you follow him on again. I, I follow these guys yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. Johnny Langan's posting Instagram videos of him running routes with Austin Albericki throwing him some beautiful balls. <laughs> um, I think he's tight end one. I think there's no question about it. I think they wanted Stolanos because he would have been a nice fit here. And they, they do run a ton of tight uh, two tight end sets. So you're going to see Kanopka. You're going to see Alimo. I think Tajay Moore is going to step up as tight end three, quote unquote, if you want to say one, two, or one, two A, two B again, and then mm-hmm. three. But I think he'll step up. He's shown some pretty strong hands before. I think Mike Higgins might even see some playing time too. Especially, the year for the spring or summer? I got to double check. I think he's a summer guy, but I'm not 100% sure actually on that one. I'll have to, but either way, they're, if they're going to run these these sets, then we're going to have to – we're not where. Uh, if they're going to run these sets, they're going to have to uh, They're going to play a bunch of guys, and that's where you expect Kanopka to step up. He's shown glimpses at times if they use the tight ends correctly. That's the big mm-hmm. issue is if are they going to use these guys. And if Johnny Lang- Langan is tight end one – you can get so tricky now because yeah. now you, you technically have a second quarterback on the field, but if you saw him, he put on some serious muscle this offseason. Oh yeah. He's big. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this on the boards. If he was just to fully buy into either the tight end, I think he would have been a hell of a linebacker too. If he bought mm-hmm. into one of these other positions, other than quarterback from day one, I think the sky's the limit for the kid. I think he's going to be very, very good this year. And I think he's going to surprise some people. For sure. Uh, next up, offensive line. This is a very interesting one. What are you excited to see? A lot of mixing and matching here that you can do. You could do the, t- the two transfers as tackles in DiRenzo and Tyler. You could st- – uh, Reggie Sutton, I think, is a solidified starter at guard, if healthy. Mm-hmm. That's yep. the big issue there. Gus Lewinskis is probably the starter at center. After that, it's mixed match. You can put DiRenzo at left tackle or left guard. You could put Tyler at right tackle or left tackle. You could put Holland Pierce at right tackle or left tackle. Um, Iron Brown looked good at times last year, and he could play guard. Curtis Dunlap is a former four-star that showed glimpses year one at Minnesota, then got hurt, then kind of bounced back a little bit, but still struggled last year. He's a guy that could get some playing time. Uh, Kobe Asamoah is on campus already, and he's he's a guy who I think could push Zelenskis for starter reps, but I don't think he's going to be able to. Um, Brian Felter's a guy who has experience. Um, it's it's very interesting because I, I think they're kind of confident now because you don't move your starting guard for and Troy Rainey who started what four or five games back to. I want to talk about that. Yeah, confident in something here. So it's maybe it's t- uh, and don't forget Tunde Fadakasi was um, a two deep guy year one. Yep. 
he fell off year two in, in the two deep, but that's also just because a guy like Colin Pierce came in and they're like, holy fuck, this kid's huge. Put him in. <laughs> yeah. And just because a guy doesn't start for us doesn't mean they won't be a valuable piece of the offensive line rotation either. Like guys who can play multiple positions are so, so valuable. And we need to be probably eight, nine, 10 guys deep on the offensive line to really be effective. Yeah, 100%. And that's where, like, I, I even forgot to mention um, transfer Mike Chafani, who I, I think he might, mm-hmm. he's still learning the position a little bit. But if they're going to put him at center, which it sounds like, he he could potentially he's got experience compared to Zelenskis and Asamoah, so it's like maybe he maybe centers his spot because he struggled at guard last year for Colorado State. Put him inside, and if he could snap well, maybe he figures it out. And it's just all it was all about adding depth too. It's not all about adding starters. Like yeah, Dorenzo is probably a solidified starter. Starter Willie Tyler. I don't even know if you can consider him a solidified starter right now because Holland Pierce did look good at times. Um. But I think it's just more about improving that line from one to ten, like you said. So like us, Trafani is better than the ninth or tenth guy they had last year. Yep. Um, Willie Tyler's better than arguably five or six of the guys last year. Yep. Um, it's it is interesting. And then Dunlap, like Dunlap, who wasn't even healthy last year, is probably better than five or six of the guys last year. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they mix and match. Regardless, this is another position group that they just love to rotate guys in and out. I know people started speculating that, like, with Augie running the show now here, are they still going to rotate? That's not changing. That's that's like a Gleason thing, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that's uh, Augie has as much control over that. It's just more about getting that group ready. So, like, if they have to come in, go in, go, switch. It's not like they handle, like, everything. Like, I think this is all Gleason's schemes. Gleason runs the entire show on offense, in my opinion. And I think that's just something he does. He wants as many linemen rotating in and out as possible that are contributing. For sure. I think the most jarring thing for you watching practice is going to be the size difference between the offensive line from last year to this year. Because yeah. every guy we brought in is massive. Outside of Asamoah, who's still massive, but he's only like 6'3", everybody we brought in is 6'5", 6'6". So. Yeah. It's, it's going to be cool to just see, like, you're going to see them walking in, and it's going to be like DiFrenzo, it's Dunlap, uh, Willie Tyler, Holland Pierce, and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Is this what a Power 5 offensive line room looks like? I'll never like, forget crap. it because I went down to Alabama, I guess, the year before the COVID, the whole COVID thing happened. And my, my dad's a big Alabama fan. So we went down and uh, got, to, got to peek a little bit because of certain someone that was down there. And they got to watch a little bit of practice. Cool. Yeah, so it was cool. And I'm just, like, standing there. And I'm just, like – I was at Rutgers practice, like, a week before. And I'm, like, how do they feed them down here? Like, <laughs> It's just it was so different though to see like it's it's interesting to see like some of these schools in person and their practices in person because you just get a different view on everything. And yeah, it's just for like, sure. How the this is why they compete. They got fucking six seven across the board, and that's their that's their backup line. <laughs> and they're not even like just like doughboys. Like I don't know if you've been following along with the the NFL Combine check ins yeah. today. Evan Neal weighed in at like six seven three thirty seven. Yeah, he's yeah, giving his interviews. Dude looks like he's like 275 pounds. He doesn't yeah. look like he's got a single ounce of fat on him. It's insane. And that's where a guy like Jay Butler is going to help a lot. Um, they're gonna, he's going to have to mold some of these guys a little bit. I think it's a wake-up call for like a guy like J.D. Dorenzo. Kurt, uh, J.D. Dorenzo and Willie Tyler, I think, will get a little bit of a wake-up call because they're going to walk in and they're like, yeah, we've been doing workouts forever. And it's like, yeah, you've been doing Sacred Heart and UOM. <laughs> Wake the fuck up. Here we are. <laughs> yep. But I think they'll, right. they'll adjust. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's the one personally I'm most excited to hear about. But that's just because we're we can only go up from where we were, uh, and I think we're going to make a significant bump up. 
What's that? It's, it's, t- it's going to be tough, though, because we can only say so much about the sure, sure, sure. practices, but we'll give you guys as much as we can. Uh, next up, defensive line. What are you excited to see? Uh, youth movement, pretty much. It's um, yep. obviously two rays still there. My Jay's got um, experience. Ahana two's got experience. Um, other than that, Aaron Lewis, Cam Stewart, Wesley Bailey, Keontae Hamilton. I think they're all going to contribute. I think they're all going to do some pretty nice things. I think Hamilton's potential is to the roof. I, I can't see a way he doesn't start. Um, I think Wesley Bailey has a ton of potential too. He's still so new to the position. When he came in, he was a tight end for his entire football career until his senior year. Switched over to DN and it's like offer, 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 offer. And he showed up at a Rutgers camp once. And I remember me and Todd Hunt were watching him. We're like, holy shit, who the hell is that kid? And they're like, oh, that's yeah. some tight end from Canada. And we're like, tight, tight end? What the fuck? He's playing good. Like, he looks good. Like he's quick. He's lengthy. Got a crazy wingspan. That's this is nuts. This kid's good. They better offer him. And then I think they uh, ended up landing him later that year. It's closer to signing day, I think it was. Yeah, I was gonna say. I remember him being a very late addition to the class. Yeah. So now hell of an addition there. But uh, and I think Cam Stewart is just massive. And I wouldn't be shocked if he got bumped inside because of how big he is. But mm-hmm. he's so athletic on the on the edge. It's just it's crazy to see. But uh, I, the one guy I, I didn't even really talk about a lot is Aaron Lewis. Aaron Lewis has the craziest wingspan of all time for a defensive end. He's going to be so deadly on that edge. I think he's going to have a hell of a year. And then add in Marquise Watson, who's developing these guys. Because the position group, I hate to say, under Panagos did take a dip last season. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. But at the same time, it's they started to rotate in younger guys. So maybe it might have just been a developmental year, if you want to argue that. Um, because you saw guys like Tverdov losing their spot, which was kind of random and weird. But yeah. uh, I think under Watson, I think this group's going to really develop nicely. And it's, I think they had what two and a half sacks was the leader, or three and a half sacks was the leader with uh, Muhammad Tuber last year. It was bad last year. We just yeah. couldn't get any pressure at all. We probably had like bottom ten pressures in the entire NCAA in terms of like team stat. I wouldn't be shocked. And then get Muhammad Toure another year at the end on the edge, whatever you want to call him. He was DN linebacker. Um, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a lot better year for them. Now it's still a lot of young guys there, so I don't I wouldn't expect like crazy numbers to just start appearing, and I don't expect like a ten sack guy. But I think you yep. get a couple five six sack guys. I think it makes sense. And Keontae Hamilton's the one I'd I'd be watching out for in the middle. I think this is another position, though. It really, really only can go up from last year because we yeah. were so bad along the defensive line. Yeah, so it'd be a struggle. Plus, you don't have Rob Smith calling the show anymore, so that's true. Maybe we'll get some exotic looks. I, I don't really know much about Harris Simiak other than what I've read, so it'd be yeah. exciting to see what he's cooking up. It's gonna be interesting. Next up, linebacker. What are you excited to see here? This is scary. <laughs> It's clear as day that, like, you post about the transfer stuff all the time. It's clear as day they want another linebacker. Yep. And I don't think there's any question about it that Tyreen Powell is the one solidified starter. And he's kind of the new modern age linebacker where he kind of can do just about everything. He's a surefire tackler. Um, he's very he's pretty good in coverage. He played mostly yep. DB in high school a little bit. He switched to linebacker, I think, senior year, junior year, whatever it was. Um, he, he, he looks really good. I have no question he'll be pretty – He'll actually have a pretty good season for his full, first full-time starter position. The other spots what worries me is um, I guess you got a veteran in Deion Jennings who's probably going to step up a little bit or have to. Mm-hmm. I guess you have no choice at this moment. Um, other than him, Moses Walker arrived early. I think he'll play a lot this year. 
out of necessity. I like Kyrie Banton a lot, but I'm, I'm told he kind of has to learn the playbook and learn the schemes a little bit better before uh, contributing. But he's, he's a guy that freak athlete and I think has all world potential. And he kind of like his game reminds me of the Kasim Green, where he's a true sideline, the sideline backer that's going to kill you if you even try to come across the middle. He hits so hard, it's insane. But again, if he starts learning the plays and the playbooks a little bit better and learning the game of football better, I think the sky's the limit for Banton. And I think a, a combo of like Banton and Powell in the future could be phenomenal. But they clearly want to stop gap here and just someone that yep. can fill the role for this season. And that's where a guy like the West Virginia guy who you posted about, Josh Chandler, could yeah, be. Just, yep. But, uh, yeah, because clearly talent is not the issue. It's experience. Like they, yeah. need, a, they need veteran presences there. And really, who do they have? Singleton left? Nope. Gone. So Jennings is the Jennings. only guy who's really had yeah. experience. That's the only experience they really have there. I, I actually, I'm putting together the depth chart, our projected depth chart heading into uh, spring for this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I sat there with linebacker. I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I really, I, I put Moses Walker as a starter. I was going to say, nothing would surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Moses Walker is a starter from day one. Like that kid yeah. is so, so, so talented. But here's the other thing that a lot of people kind of forget. We only really play two linebackers at a time. Yeah. So it's not as big of an issue to not really have that settled because we really only have one other role that we need to fill. Yeah, that's that's, that's going to be tough. So that's why I think if you could just find a transfer. Like I, I was so tempted to just put transfer as like the linebacker <laughs> one or linebacker two. And it's just like I, I don't know who they're going to get because there's just so many names. Um, like I said, the West Virginia guy uh, was the one we mentioned. There was another one that we were talking about yesterday. I can't remember. Well, Eldrick Robert, Robinson. Yeah, Eldrick Robinson. Yeah, from I know I talked Georgia to him Southern. He said Heatherman introduced the program to him. Nothing crazy. He he's some of these kids' recruitments are just so weird because he's like, it's like, did, did they talk about an offer at all? He goes, no, I didn't ask. I'm like, <laughs> what? And he's, uh, I was like, do you like? do you ask about an offer? Like, don't they just give it to you kind of? And he's just like, Mm -hmm. you know what? You're right. Let me ask a couple of these schools. And then all of a sudden he starts tagging me in tweets and I'm like, offer from ECU, offer from Appalachian State, offer from Arsenal. I'm like, did you just ask every coach? And like, (laughs) like, yeah, I was just kind of curious. Like they never told me if I had an offer. They said they were, they wanted me to join them. They never said offer. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess there's no, I mean, it could be fairly ambiguous though, because you sure you want to want me to join you, but does that mean I have, any financial support joining you or am I a walk-on like it was just wild to see I was just like shocked and I was like uh okay and then he starts tagging me and it's like offer 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 I was like all right cool congrats I guess (laughs) but uh, that kid had a a pretty crazy true freshman season he didn't grade well on PFF but he had some he was putting up some big stats by the end of the season yeah now the final one the fun one (laughs) all right last position group DBs what are you excited to see um, this is, this is going to be so interesting because I think Max Melton is going to be phenomenal uh, as long as he stays out of trouble. I got to yep. mention it. Kassan Abram was all PFF first team last year, big 10, all big 10 PFF, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, longer beam showed glimpses. Christian Braswell's back healthy. So he should be fine as like a CV three, CV four, whatever you want to call him. Yep. I think Max Patterson is going to make some noise there too. After the move from wide receiver to uh DB cornerback whatever um christian isian i think that's solidified the other safety spot is where i question a lot of things desmond igbenosin looks so goddamn good in that gator bowl oh my god how do you keep him off the field i don't think you can i think they have to kind of i know that there was a lot of for some reason there was a lot of mocks 
early in the season with like Avery Young going really high in the draft. I don't know how. I don't know if they weren't even watching him, but I don't see that at all. I, so. I think if you're going to run these like these nickel formations, you're going to have three cornerbacks out there. I think yeah. I, I honestly, you put Kassan Abram in the slot and then kind of, I hate to say it, Avery Young, you're going back to cornerback. Good luck. It's a more valuable position anyway. That's probably where he wants to be. Yeah, and I, it sounded like when he first moved, he wasn't too happy about it, but then he kind of adjusted, and he was like, all right, you know, I can I can make this work. Um, I'd probably put him back at cornerback. I don't know if I'd make him the starter, and I'd actually argue that Christian Braswell, if healthy, could be starter number two, three, yep. whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, I could see a rotation where it's like uh, Melton, Braswell, Abraham, Izzy, and Igmanosin. The issue with the safeties is if you move Avery Young, there's zero depth back there. Yep. I don't even know who, like, I'm struggling to put Christian Izzian's backup right now because, like, I don't, I don't really know. I, I like a guy like Shaquan Loyal to move back there. I think he's a pretty damn good player. Um, he's He's got crazy big, like, Saquon Barkley-like legs, which is pretty wild to see, like, in, when you're in practice. Yep. But uh, he, he's a pretty good DB. He's another guy that's still kind of learning the game and stuff. Um, I don't even know who else. Elijah Juan Mack, maybe. Uh, there, there's really not a lot, ton of options there. And I'm actually a little shocked they didn't pursue a safety via the portal, unless they're that confident in Igmanosin starting. Yeah, I mean, they, they did look into a few, but it's definitely not yeah. – I mean, just based on volume alone, it doesn't seem to be a priority, like offensive line and wide receiver and linebacker seem to be. Yeah, so I wouldn't be shocked if Avery Young moved back. Igmanosin is in it's, – it's a good starting lineup. It's just the, the backup safety scare me. I mean, you just got to hope – you're kind of doing what you're doing with the QB room and you're just kind of praying that nothing happens all season long. Yep, for sure. Um, so spring practice, when does that actually start up? I know it's next week at some point. Do you have a specific date? It starts Tuesday. I don't okay. know what the date is. I think it's like the eighth or something. Okay. Yeah. The eighth. Um, it definitely starts Tuesday. I don't know when they're going to let us in. Usually it's just like one practice per week and it's usually okay. like you're not seeing much. And even if you do see something, it's like, don't say a word. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you, do you actually get to talk to any of the coaches or players during the spring or so, when is that period that you actually get to? So they said that's going to start like pretty immediately. Um, okay. Based off talking to SIDs and stuff. They said that's going to start ASAP. We're going to get introductions to the coaches and then we'll probably never talk to them again. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of wish like I, as much as I hate to dig on Ash, but. I did like his policies. I thought that was kind of cool. It was a little different. It was like, hey, here's 15 or 25 minutes. You can report whatever you want for 25 minutes. After that, get the hell out. So, And I think yeah. that kind of helped a little more. Then, like, I, I like seeing the whole practice, yes, because it helps to, like, write stories, I guess, a little bit. But I almost wish, like, we could just write whatever we want for those 25 minutes. Yep. Even if I see like a couple of glimpses, I can make like I can tell like a little stuff here and there. I'm like, oh shit, I can fast. Like I can, oh my god, just moss. <laughs> like, I'm watching like this. I'm watching like a Sean Munnerlin like moss somebody, and I'm just like, can't post it, can't post it, can't post it. <laughs> it's tough, but I don't know. It I, it's an intriguing one, but we are gonna get to talk to the new assistant coaches and Watson and Heatherman and maybe two others. If at this point, I don't know. Um, Harris Simeon's probably going to talk, I would assume, early on. Uh, after that, I, I hope we get to talk to Gleason again because we haven't talked to him in I don't know how long. And it, it kind of sucks because there's so many questions we have about the offense and that we just can't ask. Like, yeah, you can ask Shiano, 
but I do think it's still Gleason's room over there. And it's just like, I want to ask him about the quarterback. I want to ask him about this scheme. I want to ask him about mm-hmm. the offensive lineman and how hard it is to like shift between, Hey, you just went from your guy for an average to now Augie Hoffman, which probably has different techniques. Yep. Stupid. Yeah, especially with a guy like Gleason, who is, you know, well known for his innovative mind. He would probably have a lot of illuminating uh, answers for different yeah. questions that you have. And it's unfortunate. There's not really a, an availability there. Yeah, it, it kind of sucks. But that's where, like, an, a guy like Ash had McNulty and Jay Neiman talk each week. And I, I count me out on Jay Neiman. I don't want to talk to that guy ever again. <laughs> but, like, it that made me, like, fall asleep a few times. Um, but McNulty's were always good press conferences. He was always lively, he was yep. always talking. And it was just – I feel like Gleason would be the same way. And it would just be nice to talk about schemes and stuff. But I understand it from Greg's perspective because it's been mentioned before that, like, a lot of coaches tend to watch these press conferences – and watch these post-practice videos, not for the, well, for, for the coach press conferences, it's more to learn about their schemes and what they're talking about for the post-practice interviews. It was interesting. Cause I, I talked to a coach the other day. He's like, yeah, I used to watch your videos back when you were posting them during Asher. And I'm like, why? He goes, you look in the background, you can always see like a little, like a couple things going on. And it's like, Ooh, it's Oh, interesting. A young quarterback throwing a, a little route there. Huh. Oh, to the number one receiver too. Okay. Just watching. Like might be a package for him in the season at some point. Yeah, so now it's like, put the banner up, put him, put Greg up against the shed. <laughs> no one sees anything. It's eh, it's funny. It is it is interesting though. I never thought about that stuff, and it's just like even if it's like a blurry background, it's like you still see some stuff, and it's like oh shit, all right. So if you want to go back on YouTube and go check those out, there's there's a bunch of like you see Johnny Langan throwing throws that like I don't even know who it was Isaiah Washington like freshman year. Yeah. But. <laughs> Um, and the spring game, uh, what's the date of the, It's like, I know it's on a Thursday. It's April 20-something. 21st, 21st, April 21st. April 21st, I think that's on BTN at 6 or 6.30. Um, um, I mean, it's not bad because it's a Thursday. It's whatever. But it's just like it's a Thursday. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how many people show up for that, what the tailgating scene will be like there. I'm sure it'll be pretty cool. I, um, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued because like it's like I guess some people have spring break because I guess it's the week uh is that the week of Easter no idea I don't even know when Easter is I give up um I'm assuming it's either the week of Easter or the week before Easter I can't remember okay I think it's the week of Easter so people like might have off Friday for some reason um but yeah I, I don't like the idea I think it's stupid but I'd rather just have a Saturday afternoon make it like Normal football, spring weather, kind of football-ish. Yeah. And then it's just like, there you go. But I, I remember when I was at Rutgers, they had it as part of like Ag Field Day and Rutgers Day. The, the actual yeah. spring game would happen. Yeah. It was like. Someone mentioned it this year. I think Rutgers Day is like the, the week before or something. Okay. After. Yeah, April 30th. So it's like, that would make so much more sense. Like, I don't get yeah. it. It fit in so well, but at the same time, we're part of the Big Ten now, and the BTN and the network people tell us it's going on this day. We don't really have much we can say to, to dispute that. So. I know. It sucks, but so Thursday night games are a wave of the future, I guess. Yep. Uh, and kind of moving on and speaking of, like, our TV stuff, uh, we do have a special guest for the, the back half of this pod. Um, former Rutgers quarterback and Rutgers great, and now Rutgers announcer Mike Teal is joining us. Uh, thank, thanks for having me. There's always time for Rutgers football, especially with spring ball right around the corner. Absolutely. 
So, so Mike, I'm, I'm going to jump right into this uh, spring ball. You've obviously been through it with Shiano a couple of times. Just kind of break it down for us. Is it a little hectic? Is it crazy? Or is it kind of just more mellow than training camp? Um, it's different than training camp. You know, there's an edge of training camp where you're getting ready for a season where, where you're preparing to, you know, go play, uh, you know, in, the, in this case now a big pen schedule. Um, the thing with spring ball is, is you play good on good all spring um, and you get to really – challenge yourselves against the ones it's ones versus ones twos versus twos threes versus threes and you know you get to kind of line up against a guy across from you every day and and get better or you know or every other day you know the 15 practices or whatever it is but um you, you really really push yourself uh, mentally and physically during spring ball a little different than training camp um because at the end of spring ball you have some time to recover and then get ready for the summer program um whereas training camp is you're getting ready for a season for sure. Mike, given how much rosters kind of turn over each spring today versus when you were playing, how much does that play a factor into? Because we're, you know, we're talking transfer portal. We're talking so many high school kids now coming for the spring semester. Does that play an outsized role in the spring now, getting those guys ready for the fall season? Yeah, I think it's a, a huge impact on the game. Um, you look at the high school kids that enroll early to, to get into spring practice. They get a know a, a 15 practice jump on all the kids that come in in the summertime for the fall um so for those guys it's, it's extremely important to get acclimated um you're not going to win a job during the spring uh, no one's going to win a job during the spring the jobs will be won during training camp but what the spring does for the young guys is it gives them a chance to get reps in in the Rutgers offense if you look at you know, the guys that have been there that are younger in the program throughout the course of a the season, they're scout guys and they're practicing as if they were Penn State or Ohio State or, you know, Michigan every week. So they get a chance to really play Rutgers football, um, which would be the first time for a lot of these guys. Um, for the transfers, it gets them caught up to speed and gets them ready for training camp so they can go, you know, and, and feel comfortable with the system, feel comfortable with the calls, feel comfortable with each other. Um, and help that transition as, you know, this whole transfer portal has really changed the game of college football. So Mike, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, your second year at Rutgers, um, or maybe I guess third year, actually, if I think about it correctly. Um, you went in your first year, you got some good game experience, similar to Gavin Wimps had this past season. Then you're going into your second year, you're, you're basically the starter come spring, I guess I guess you had to win the job technically, but you and Gavin were both like kind of starters going into spring. How just take us through your mindset going into your second season like that? Yeah, so for me, I actually had a red shirt year in there, so mm -hmm. I had an extra year compared to where Gavin came in early. Yeah. Um, he, he's still kind of playing catch up to to what my transition was like. Uh, mine was definitely a little longer, um, but that being said, as you come into spring. Um, you have a chance to kind of solidify yourself as, as a starter. And, you know, I think everyone expects and knows that Gavin's going to be the starter. I think for him, it's going to give him an opportunity to really become a leader. Um, the quarterback position, you, you can't lead until you're out there making plays. You can say as much as you want from the sideline, uh, but only one guy plays that position. And for Gavin, he, you know, kind of like my freshman year, my redshirt freshman year, he was able to get a bunch of reps this past fall, um, get a feel for what, college football was like but now going forward uh you know it's his team and, and his leadership style and his leadership ability will take over and come out and that's the exciting part during spring um you, you really kind of get to get take ownership of the position um and it really sets you up for the summertime 
Like, have you had a chance to talk to Gavin at all? Because obviously he's the future of the program and you you guys had similar roles, obviously playing quarterback for Rutgers. You both have probably been three-year starters at least if all things work out uh, with Gavin. But have you had a chance to kind of mentor him or talk to him at all? Uh, a, a little bit. You know, it was tough timing when he came in. Obviously, they're in the middle of the season. And, you know, when he came in, I don't think Coach Shiano or Coach Gleason would want him to talk to anyone because his head was spinning between trying to find out what class he was taking and how to get from Livingston to Bush to College Ave to Cook Douglas. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I did have a chance before one of the games. Um, I was with uh, one of the coaches pregame on the field. Um, before all the players came out dressed, they would go out and throw the ball around and stuff like that. And we had a chance to talk for a couple of minutes. And I was super impressed with him for being, you know, really should have been a senior in high school. Um, spoke well, you know, looked you in the eye when you, when you talked to him. And, you know, again, we didn't talk X and O's and I didn't talk to him for a while, but you could see that he was engaged and, and interested and in, in wanting to learn. Um, and I think that's a, a really important quality for your young quarterback and a young player, uh, right? You always want to learn and you always want to try to be a sponge and try to take in as much as possible from anyone that you talk to. And he just struck me as that type of kid. So I'm excited about it. So, Mike, I don't want to make this the Gavin Wimsat podcast, but I got one more for you about it. <laughs> it kind of has to do with you, too. Um, you had a multi, or you had the same offensive coordinator for three years in a row in John McNulty. Now Gavin, or Gavin Wimsat's going to have the same one for at least two years in a row. How big of an impact is it just to keep the same OC and the same playbook and all that stuff instead of like some of your successors kind of all had a different coordinator each and every year? Yeah, it's, it's so, so hard. And the guys that played after me, you know, bless those guys for being able to learn a system every single offseason and then go through the spring and, and have to, you know, input it and, and learn it and then be able to go execute it. For me, you know, by the time I got to my senior year, uh, you know, I knew everything and I was coming up with some ideas that I would see um, in the NFL. And I would talk to, to John McNulty about it and, and we would implement them in our system, you know, stuff with cadences and stuff with pre-snap motions and shifts and just different things that I saw in the NFL. Um, and we would take some of that stuff and then put it into the system. And, and that's the advantage of being in the same system for a while. Um you know, for a young player, it's paramount. Um, it's hard enough as a young player and being a quarterback to go out and execute. When you ask someone to learn a system every offseason, a different system, it's nearly impossible. So, you know, I think having stability at that, at that coaching spot in, in Sean Gleason, the offense coordinator, uh, I think will be really important for Gavin. But, but you'll see even more so with the team and the offense. Um, everyone now will be – they'll be making the same line calls. They'll be – making the same protection calls. The concepts are all the same. Um, and the more uh, longevity you can have in that role as an offensive coordinator, the better it's going to be for, for the whole offense. For sure. So, Mike, this past year you joined the Rutgers radio broadcasting team of uh, Chris Carlin and Eric Legrand. Talk to us a little bit about how that opportunity came together for you and, I guess, some of the, uh, the growing pains of announcing because, you know, Richie and I had never done a podcast before getting that cadence down with your co-host is it takes a little bit of time. Were you guys able to practice at all, like doing mock games or anything like that? Or you just went into it first game, got the, the, uh, the, the camaraderie going. Yeah. They say getting thrown to the fire. Um, that, yeah. that's what it was for me. <laughs> um, no, you know what? It, it was a lot of fun for me. I, this is the first really second season, I guess that I've been completely away for football. And then, um, the week of the opener, that Monday or Tuesday, Kevin McConnell reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested 
in, in joining the, the broadcast with Chris and Eric because Ray had stepped down to take a high school job. And um, it was kind of a no-brainer. The, the difficult part for me was I was just starting a new job and the transition um, was kind of in mid-process. So I, I wasn't able to commit to doing everything. So we kind of came up with, with an idea that I would do the home games and JPO would do the, the road games as he had done in the past. Um, and, and really the first game the year um the temple i think was temple um i wasn't on the call because again they had called me that like wednesday or thursday before the opener and i just it just wasn't enough time to prepare and, and get right um so i went and sat in the booth for a little bit listened to the three of them do it and then i did it the following home game and i had an absolute blast with it i don't know if people liked it if i was good or not but i really enjoyed it um and for me, it, it scratched that itch of being around football and, and doing football without having to do a lot of football like a coach does. And I'm sure you guys see it, you know, on the media side, you know, getting to know the players and know the depth charts and know the types of systems that different teams run. That that was really fun for me. And uh, I'm hoping that they ask me to do it again next year because I had a really good experience with Chris and Eric. Well, Mike, I think you did a pretty damn good job, if you want me to say so. <laughs> I but I, I do want to talk back about uh, your coaching days since you do actually have a couple former players on the roster currently and Christian Dremel, Guy Fava. Uh, but one I want to talk about is Kyle Manangai. How much did he ever kind of remind you of Ray? Because I know a lot of people like to compare the two just because of the similar uh, body styles and styles of running too, actually. Yeah, no, they, they are definitely similar. I mean, Ray, if you, if you talk about Ray, Ray was an all-pro running back in the NFL. I think the, the thing that separated him from a lot of players was his ability to burst um, and just run. Uh, there's maybe one or two guys a year that come out of college football that are able to do that. Um, but when you talk about those two guys, I think the thing that people probably underestimate about both of them do everything they can pass protect they can catch the football out of the backfield uh, and then they can run the football now their running styles are very similar Kyle like Ray is very patient and then has the ability to to put his foot in the ground and get north and south um, with one step and I think that was one of the things that Ray was so good at Kyle probably lacks a little bit of that uh, burst and breakaway speed that Ray has um, or Ray had but but overall, I think those two guys compare uh, very well. And, and you look at Kyle, you know, each week he just continued to get more and more reps. And, you know, he earned every rep that he got. Um, and, and even in high school, you know, we had two of the best backs in the state at the time when I was coaching those guys at Don Bosco. And uh, I voted Kyle first team all county over, over the other one. And the other one, I think, has a chance to play in the NFL. But that just shows you the type of player that Kyle is. So, Mike, you've had about a as wide of a perspective on Rutgers as somebody could have from being a high school athlete recruited to go to Rutgers. You were a student at Rutgers. You were a Rutgers football player. You coached at Rutgers. You were a high school football coach who sent kids to Rutgers. And now you're on the media side for Rutgers. So you've got all these views of Rutgers that most people would be lucky to have one of them. You've got like six or seven. So talk a little bit about how much has changed at Rutgers through the path of your it, uh, relationship with Rutgers and some of the challenges the program has overcome and still faces. Yeah, I mean, it's talk about coming full circle and then really get yeah. to, getting to experience, you know, everything. Um, you know, if you think back, you know, when I was being recruited, um, it was a vision. There, there was no proof that it could be done because it hadn't been done prior to that. Um, it was a belief in Coach Ciano and 
wanting to be a part of something special um, and bringing New Jersey football and putting New Jersey football on the map. Um, and, you know, luckily enough, we, we were there and I was there at a really good time and we were able to do it. Um, but it, it was a vision. I think as, as the vision progressed and, and we had some success, it, it changed from a vision to, you know, a, a state of this team and this program can achieve really good things. And the state of New Jersey got behind us um, and has gotten behind the program. Um, the people, you know, in the tri-state have, have gotten behind our football. <clears throat> and I think when, when the team's good, you know, part of being in a pro market, right. When the team's good, everyone loves Rutgers the teams, you know, struggling a little bit like they had the last couple of years, you know, they kind of fall, fall off the map a little bit. But as you see, them continue to get more competitive you're going to see people buy into Rutgers football again and I think that's the exciting thing you know guys and fans buying into a program that is competing in the best conference in college football and in the Big Ten East division um you know I read some things that they might break up the divisions in, in the Big Ten which would be the best thing for Rutgers um, not having yeah. to play that gauntlet every year but um but it's really come full circle. And, you know, I, the guys that I spoke, you know, that I played with and still speak to, you know, I think we take great pride in being a part of that beginning process to have the opportunity to go to this Big Ten uh, and play the teams that they do. So, so Mike, I want to go back to your, uh, your high school days. I know you kind of mentioned it a little bit before. Obviously, there's a ton of Big North talent. What, what's the main thing holding these big North guys from going to Rutgers? Obviously, you made the jump. Obviously, Darius Hamilton, Leonte Carew, a couple other Bosco guys have made that leap. But what's the main thing just holding them back right now? I think it depends on the level of prospects. Um, you know, there's some guys that just don't want to stay home. They want to get away. They've been here their whole lives, and they want to go somewhere else, and mm -hmm. they should have that opportunity, and, and they'll succeed there because there's so many good players. But – you know, I, I think when you're talking about, you know, the four and five star players that, that you're competing with, with the Ohio States and the Michigans and the Penn States every year, you've got to prove on the field that you can compete. And, you know, frankly, we haven't done that yet. We've gotten closer, but we have not done that consistently where you can say there's a five star recruit out of North Jersey in the big North. And there's a reason for him to stay home. Um, you know, you're going to get a, a couple guys that take flyers and look like what Anthony Davis did. Mm -hmm. um, when he committed. Um, but there was a little bit of proof at the time um, that, that we were going in the right direction. I think you're starting to see that now. There's proof that they're starting to get it turned around and they're starting to go in the right direction. The transfer portal is going to help expediate that process. And instead of being a four or five year turnaround, I think he can do it in two or three um, because you get some of those needs and, and which they've definitely addressed this offseason. Um, but I think you have to win. Um, especially now and nowadays it's way different than when I was coming out. There was no social media. Um, you know, there were no recruiting camps there were, there were nothing. If you got lucky enough to get invited to the rivals camp back then, that's all that, that, that there was, you know, there wasn't a camp every weekend now. Um, you know, so I think the bottom line is they, they need to put a product on the field that gets, you know, top recruits excited. And I think they're really, really close to doing that. Yeah, I think that's like the big what if is if Shiano didn't leave for the NFL the first time around. The Big Ten was right around the corner. We were just hitting our stride with recruiting. Like we had landed like the top kid in the state two or three years in a row at that point. So, yeah, I, th I think what you you're seeing with basketball now, you're seeing, you know, consistent, relevant teams making the tournament. You have sellouts every night. Like I think that same thing could happen with football again, as long as like, like you said, we're competitive. And right now, you know, we're winning. 
easy games, but we're not being competitive in big games. Yeah, and again, it's from where it was when, when Coach Yano came back, there was a lot, a lot of work to do. So it's definitely going to take some time. But you can see in the last two years, and really the first year being a COVID year, and you, you know, you played a, an abbreviated schedule, but you see a ton of improvement and you see steps in the right direction. Um, and I really think with the transfer portal this offseason, you're going to see an even bigger jump from, from last year to this year. And, you know, once you're able to kind of get over that hump and, and get to six, seven, eight games and get the bowl games consistently, um, that's when you're poised to have one of those breakout years like we did in 06, and that changes the whole ball game. In, ter in terms of recruiting-wise, Brian Toll, how close was he? Is it, was it just a <laughs> lack of wins, or was it something else? Like, you have to I'm, – I'm sure you were in his ear nonstop. Yeah, no, I, I definitely was. I mean, his older brother played up there. Um, he, he was a, a successful North Jersey running back and went on to have a good career up there. Um, at, at the time, a lot of Jersey kids went up there, especially from the Catholic schools up in North Jersey. Yeah. Um, he, he was close. Um, you know, I think he was – if it was up to him, I think he would have came. I think there were some, some other people, family and some stuff that, you know, really kind of swayed him to, to go up that way. But uh, – Listen, I think it might have been a little bit different for him if he came by us, but, you know, it's the way it is. For sure. That area was, I mean, it still is a, a hotbed for talent, but especially around the early 2000s, a lot of NFL guys coming out of the Big North. Who was the best player you played in high school? Um, I mean, it pains me to say it, but um, Brian Cushing probably from, from Bergen Catholic. Um if you're going to just going to ask who's the best player that I ever shared a field with, I'll say Brian Toll. Um, I think Brian was better than Brian Cushing um, in high school. Obviously, Cushing turned out to have a great career and you know a long time NFL career. But uh, Brian Cushing, he was a junior my senior year in high school, and he was playing middle linebacker at 6'2", 225, veins popping out of everywhere in his arm, ran a four five. Um, I mean, if he, you drew up a high school kid that was going to go play in the NFL, it was, it was that kid, and, and he did everything. And, you know, the following year, his senior year, was the him and Michael Ray Garvin show at Giant Stadium for the championship where he just dominated, played receiver, played quarterback, played tight end, played linebacker, um, just a, a do-it-all type player. And uh, it kind of reminds me of, like, a, 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 what Greg Olson did when Greg was younger um, and in high school. Obviously, he went on to play tight end. Brian went on to play linebacker, but but both of those guys at the high school level and at the younger levels just dominated in every sense of the word. So, Mike, are you planning to make it to any of the spring practices? And if you are, what are you most excited to see out of the team? Yeah, I definitely want to try to make it down as much as I can um, and get around the team. I'm really, you know, I think two things. The first thing is, um, see what some of these transfers look like in person. Um, you know, I know that they've kind of rebuilt the offensive line through the transfer portal, and that's always been, you know, kind of a topic of conversation um, as far as development. You know, the thing with offensive linemen, it takes time to get those guys developed. They don't come in and play in their first or second year. They're going to take two, three years before they're ready to go compete. Um, so you get some guys that have been through that process already and are ready to go right now. Uh, excited to see them. Um, excited to see, obviously, the quarterback. Um, and see Gavin really kind of have an opportunity to develop and, and really learn the system. I think last year, I haven't talked to anyone, but he was just out there winging it. Uh, you know, I guarantee you, he wasn't really going through progressions and really had thought behind the decisions he was making. 
um, and, and he still played well. So I'm excited to see him and really hopefully have an understanding of the offense and, and be able to compete, you know, at a high level. And then on the defensive side, I think the linebacker position, you know, we, we lost some good players in the position, some guys that I think have a chance to play at the next level, um, you know, and I think that's part of building a program and, and rebuilding where we are now is creating depth. So when guys leave, new guys step in and, and they have an opportunity. You don't miss a beat. So, Mike, obviously you got into coaching after uh, after playing. You coached at Kane, you coached at Wagner. I think you went back to Kane and even at Rutgers for a little bit. Um, just have you ever thought about coming back? Because I know every time there's an opening on the staff, you're like one of the first names mentioned on the message boards. <laughs> I know. I like it. It keeps my, it keeps my name alive. Um, <laughs> you know, no, I, I, I haven't. Um, I did for a while, um, and that was part of the reason why I took the job up at Bosco was to go there and run an offense and, you know, have an opportunity to jump back to college. But um, while I was at Bosco, I got offered the quarterback job up at Syracuse. And I said no to Coach Babers, wow. and not a lot of people know that. Um, wow. But it was kind of an epiphany for me. It was either I was going to say yes, and I was going to jump in and you know dive in headfirst and be a college football coach and live that lifestyle, or I was going to take a step away and get out of football and you know kind of get back into the business world and create a business, which is what I'm doing now. And hmm. there's just too many variables to being a coach. I'm engaged. I'm going to have a family. I want to spend time with them. I want to play golf on the weekends. There's a lot of other things that I really enjoy doing um, that you can't do as a coach. And it's a sacrifice that those guys make. And it's a, it's a hard, hard life for a lot of them um, because they're all over the place and, you know, just wasn't for me. So, you know, keep using my name on any job openings to kind of keep the buzz going, but you won't see me back. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just as hard as a recruiting analyst. I'll tell you that much. My, my golf weekends are shot now. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah every single weekend yeah it's a football like you said it's a football camp every weekend now and i'm like god damn it dude just let me go let me go hit the range real quick mm-hmm. but uh no other yeah. than that I, the, I think the last one i really got for you is uh you spent some time in the nfl you you've been behind some crazy good quarterbacks between hasselback between i think cutler at one time too right Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady. Guy, yeah, I was going to say, guy named Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to tell, who's the best? I guess who is the most influential on you in the NFL between any of these big names? It could even be like one of the backups, also. You know, Matt, Matt Hasselbeck um, was instrumental in my first year. So I, I'm from New Jersey, born and raised. I got drafted by the Seahawks. And, you know, I'm all of a sudden living on the West Coast, you know, 3,000 miles away from my family. So, you know, it wasn't as much football as it was off the field. And I spent Thanksgiving at Matt's house. I spent Christmas at Matt's house with his family. Um, he just opened his doors and, and let me in like I was part of his family. And you just saw the type of man he was. I think the thing that he showed me how to do was how to be a professional quarterback. Um, the NFL is way different than college. It is a business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, guys go home to their families and they're fighting every day to put food on the family excuse me, put food on the table for their families. Um, in college, you, you go back to the dorm room and you hang out with all the guys and you play video games and, you know, and then you, you go out at night and you have dinner and you go to sleep. Uh, not like that in the NFL. So he taught me what it was like to be an NFL football player, NFL quarterback, but I really had a chance to see the type of man that he was, um, the way he loved his kids, the way he spent time with his wife. Um, and that I think was the biggest impact on me, you know, and it was probably more off the field than it was on the field. Yeah. So Mike, I can't let you go without telling a Tom Brady story. 
what do you, what is something that sticks out to you about your time with the Patriots, even if it was just for a short period of time that like Brady's just a maniac. Like what is something you could tell us about Tom Brady? I've got two good stories. The first one is, is pretty quick. The second one's uh, a little better, but um, I got up there and Billy O'Brien was the offensive coordinator at the time. And he said, uh, I flew in from Seattle Sunday. Um, I got signed by them on Friday. I flew in Sunday. Um, he said, meet me in the office at 6 a.m. Monday so we can start to install the offense. Now, this is in May. Um, you know, there's no game in sight. They have won, you know, four or five championships already. Um, there's nothing in sight for those guys uh, in May to be in the office by 5.30 in the morning. So I pull in like 5.45 and uh, <clears throat> I'm waiting to get in because I don't have a key card. Billy comes in, lets me in, shows me my locker, um, put my stuff down. And the locker next to me is Tom. The other locker next to me is Randy Moss. And oh both my of those God. Lockers, it's what I walked into. Both of those lockers are, you know, discombobulated and look like someone's been in there. Um, so I said to Billy O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, said, are those guys here? And he's like, yeah, they're here every day at a quarter to five. They work out from five to six before the team gets here. And at six to 6.30, they'll have breakfast. And then from 6.30 to 7.00. Um, they get ready for meetings and then team meetings at 7 a.m. This is in May. It's Tom Brady and Randy Moss, two Hall of Famers that have no business being there at a quarter to five in the morning in May. Um, and it just shows you the work ethic when no one's watching. The other quick one I have with Tom is uh, Brandon Tate, who was a receiver at North Carolina. Um, he was one of the receivers up there. I spent a couple of years, I think, up there. Um, but he was new and I was new. So we stayed after practice one day to throw, uh, kind of work on some of the concepts and do some stuff. And, you know, we had a good session the next day of practice, we're running a, a comeback. And the way the Patriots ran, it was 20 yards back to 18 yards. And most of the time it's 18 back to 16, cause it's all done off of steps. Um, they didn't count steps up there. So Brandon had always counted steps, you know, and he always got the 18 yards. They wanted it at 20. So Brandon runs it at 18 and Tom throws him the ball. He doesn't throw him the ball. He throws it 30 yards over his head. And as Brandon's coming back to the huddle, he points at him and he says, if you ever, ever effing want to play for me and catch balls for me, you're going to effing run the route at 20 yards. And I was looking at Brian Hoyer, one of the other backup quarterbacks at the time. I was like, holy shoot, like this guy is crazy. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't even know that the route was at 18 yards. We went back and watched the film. It was 18 yards. So I asked Tom the next day, I said, how'd you know he was at 18 yards? Like it was, it was individual routes on air. It wasn't during a live session. He's like, I was counting his steps and I knew he didn't get to, to 20 yards. So I threw it over his head. You know, the intuition wow. for someone to, to watch that and do that, just the attention to detail. And you know, that's why he's the best to ever do it, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think you have much uh, resistance there. I think he's yeah. the best football player to ever place it up. And he was still playing nearly 12 years after that moment that you were on the, uh, the team with him. So that's insane. That's pretty nuts. Uh, Mike, I don't want to level. I got to bother you for one more question. Since it's uh, storytelling time right now, what's your best Shiano story? <laughs> that you can tell. That you can tell. No, I guess you're not going back into coaching. You can tell us whatever you want. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to talk to him before the games. I was doing the radio now. So, um, the, the best Shiano story that I have, I mean, there, they are, there are a ton. I, I think the best one personally for me was, you know, we were talking about spring ball a little earlier and 
going into my sophomore year, I was kind of the starter there. There wasn't a ton of competition. I kind of, you know, I was taking all the reps of the ones and I was, you know, kind of feeling good about myself, kind of on cruise control. Like I'm going through spring, you know, I see the same look every day. I kind of know what's going on. And um, one day we're going through seven on seven and he decides he's going to get behind me with the megaphone and he's just going to scream the entire, the entire play in my ear about how I, I, I'm slow. I'm fat. I can't run. I can't, I can't make quick decisions, you know, and he's trying to, to frustrate and fluster me. And he literally did it for the entire period. Um, and I was like, it was a 10 play period. I think we were like three for 10 that period, which is absolutely horrible and seven on seven. Um, so it worked. It, it definitely worked. And he knew what he was doing. There were a couple other times that he did it throughout the spring. And after that first time, you know, I kind of learned my lesson and you just kind of lock in a little bit more and you focus a little bit more and, you know, just little things that, that he does to make you a better player. And there's a million stories like that with different players in different positions. Um, and that's just one that I have of many. But uh, it's one that sticks with me and something that I always think about. Yeah, I, that's all I got. <laughs> Mike, really appreciate your time. Is there anything you want to plug or talk about before we sign off? No, you know what? Not really. I mean, I think right now Rutgers basketball is, is really fun to watch. Hopefully they can get the win this weekend and then win a couple games in the tournament and, and get invited to the big dance. But, you know, listen, I, I'm just enjoying um, being part of the media and, and doing the games on the radio and, and watching the development of these kids and, and the team. Uh, just like all you other guys, I'm, I'm just as I'm, I'm might be the biggest fan of everyone right now. So it's a fun time to, to be a part of it. That's for sure. And, and I appreciate you guys having me on today. Oh, no problem. We appreciate all your time. Have safe travels to wherever you're going. Happy vacation if it's a vacation. And uh, yeah, so it's been another episode of the Night Report podcast, guys. We're signing off. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.